Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's word and apply his message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part one of Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 14. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas holiday. There's a picture of our family. We were all able to get together. Glory to God. I, I had no idea. I was holding it very loosely if the kids could all come home with COVID and all, but uh, God worked it all out and we had a wonderful time and I hope you did as well. Now I'll start our lecture for Romans chapter 14. Welcome to Romans 14. And the theme tonight is what would St. Paul say? I'm going to start at the beginning where I I love to start, as you know, God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth, every living thing that moves upon the earth, you have dominion over. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food. And the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And there was one other creature, a forked tongue slithering serpent, that forked tongue that can tell half truth and half lie. No need to be afraid of any creature. They had dominion over every living thing that moves. And the serpent said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat of any of the trees of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. And we see Hava eat already putting a little fence around God's law with the extra command not to touch. But the serpent said to the woman, oh, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So from very early on, from the beginning, the wrong thing, eating is the, the wrong thing that brought division. The fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we are so conditioned in our Western thinking to think it's an apple because all our artwork shows it to be an apple, but not so with the Jewish rabbis. They have many commentaries about what was that forbidden fruit in the garden. Was it grapes? Was it mushroom? Was it pomegranate? Was it apple? Was it fig? Was it wheat? And the one that intrigued me the most this time was thinking of the forbidden fruit as wheat. The eating will be very, very different on the other side of Eden when they're banished. Now, some of the rabbis say that it was bread. Bread was the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And botanically, my friends, wheat, the wheat kernel, is a type of fruit. It's called a, caryop a, a caryopsis. The archaeological record suggests that Wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent around 9,600 BC. And the Fertile Crescent, as you remember from geology class, is the cradle of civilization. And among it's among the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers. It's mentioned in Genesis. Areas now in current day, it's southern Iraq and Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Palestine, Israel, Egypt, parts of Turkey and Iran. And those two 
rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates, would regularly flood that region, and the Nile River would also run through part of it. So irrigation and agriculture developed there because of the fertile soil and the rivers. So it was the perfect place to cultivate wheat. And you remember, after the fall of man, the curse to Adam, the Lord said, Adam, because you listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten the tree which I commanded you not to eat of, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bearing forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Ah, not the trees in the garden, but the plants of the field. And in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Hmm. And you shall return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and unto dust you shall return. Now, let's talk a little bit about bread and wheat and Eden. The Midrash explains the Talmudic passage. It gives a further reason why the forbidden fruit might be wheat. On the surface, the Midrash brings an old figure of speech that a person who lacks knowledge would be described as having never eaten bread. The deeper implication of that Midrash, however, is that unlike anything else, bread is quintessentially a human food. Animals, also eat fruits, vegetables, meat, milk, but only humans eat bread. Processing hard wheat into edible bread requires a divine knowledge. This is symbolic of the divine knowledge found within the tree of knowledge. Bread represents something very powerful, man's ability to manipulate his environment for his own benefit. Animals don't have this ability. They are victims of whatever nature throws at them. Man alone is able to change nature. This could be as simple as baking bread or as complex as seeding the clouds to make rain and manipulate the weather. But the tree of knowledge represents this divine ability. And maybe this is why Torah says that once man consumes of it, of the tree of knowledge, they will be like gods. That's in Genesis 3, verse 22, when the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good from evil. What about wheat? The Jamara explains that children know how to say father and mother only after beginning to consume grains. The Midrash says that when one lacks intelligence, others comment that he has not eaten wheat bread. These statements provide a basis for concluding that the tree of knowledge was perhaps wheat. The Midrash, however, raises an obvious question. The verses discuss the tree of knowledge and how does a wheat stalk resemble a tree? And the response is that the Garden of Eden Wheat stalks resembled pillars as tall as the cedars in Lebanon. They were like trees. The answer provided is as the word eats in the Bible can refer to either tree or wood. And thus, in this context, it would have meant wood, referring to the stalk of wheat. And identifying the forbidden fruit as wheat is further supported by the similarity between the word chita, which means wheat, and chiat, which means sin in Hebrew, alluding to the fact that this was the quintessential sin. Wheat is not usually eaten raw. Did Hava, Eve, actually produce bread out of the wheat? The Midrash implies that Eve did not produce bread, but that rather the wheat stalks in the Garden of Eden gave forth finished bread, baked bread. Now, Adam's punishment was that by the sweat of your brow, you will eat bread. Seems to support this idea by suggesting that post-sin, after the sin, the acquisition of bread became much more difficult. The possible wheat tree of Eden changed from a tree to a grass-like plant outside of Eden that also animals would eat. The wheat outside of Eden needed much work to plant, to cultivate, to harvest, to grind into flour, the labor to knead it and to bake it into bread. God created man in such a way that he would need to eat in order to exist, which provides spiritual sustenance. And this takes place 
through eating in a holy manner. When man was first created, this food was only from the fruit of the tree, as it says in Genesis. And God planted a garden in the east of Eden and placed man there. And the planting was of trees, as the verse says, from all the trees of the garden you should eat. The idea was that man should eat from the fruit of the trees and the animals should eat the grasses. You should know that after man sinned, he was cursed to eat the grasses of the field. The Talmud states that when Adam heard this, his eyes were filled with tears, and he said, will my donkey and I eat from one trough? And God responded then that by the sweat of his brow, Adam could eat bread, and at that moment, the fruits were cursed. He cursed the ground Thus, the fruits were cursed. Following the sin, the original sin, the wheat tree was demoted and reduced in stature from a tree to lowly grass, the wheat that we know of today. And ever since man was evicted from the Garden of Eden, he's been forced to hard labor to produce daily bread or else to perish. And so we pray in the Lord's Prayer as Jesus taught us, give us this day our daily bread. Now the rabbis believed the saga would eventually come full circle. When Messiah arrives, wheat would be restored to its former glory, and it would again be as high as a date palm and tower over the mountains. Hmm. Lest you wonder how its fruit shall be harvested, God will bring forth a wind, a ruha, which will blow through the tree, and man will walk in the field and catch the falling fruit for himself and his family. The one holy one, blessed is he, will bring a wind from his treasury and blow across and will thereby induce the flower to fall from the stalks of the wheat, and a person will go out to the field and bring back a palmful of flour, from which he will provide his livelihood and the livelihood of the members of his household. In addition to redeeming Israel, saving the world, and establishing world peace, the Messiah would also one day provide all with manna, with bread. To Baruch 29.8 says that it'll come to pass at that selfsame time that the treasury of manna shall again descend from on high. They will eat of it in those years because these are they who have come to the consummation of time. The Midrash goes on to a discussion of the hamoitzi or the blessing recited on bread. Reading between the lines, the Midrash reveals that reciting the hamoitzi might very well be fulfilling a cosmic tikkun for the sin of Eden. God cursed the land following Adam and Eve's sin, and when we recite the blessing before and after eating the meal, we bless the good land that God gave us, kind of tempering the curse, bringing back the blessing. We as Catholics do the same thing. We pray great before meals, and we pray grace after meal, blessing the Lord, thanking the Lord for his goodness. The wheat is grown on more land area than any other crop in the world, 220.4 million hectares in 214. World trade of wheat is greater than any other crop combined. In 2017, world production of wheat was 772 million tons, forecasted 766 million tons in 2019, making it the second most cereal after maize. Since 1960, world production of wheat and other grain crops has tripled. It's expected to grow further in the 21st century. Global demand for wheat's increasing due to the viscoelastic and adhesive properties of gluten proteins. What I'm saying, guys, is wheat is very important in the world. It always has been. Jesus makes the people sit down in John 6. On the grass, the men sit down in numbers of five 
5,000. In Mark's version, Jesus directs them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. They sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Sitting down in organized, counted out groups around the true presence of God reminds us of something. We talked about it earlier this year, the encampment of Israel around the true presence of God and the priests in the middle in the Holy of Holies as they march through the desert exodus. John 6 reminds us of that. When the people saw the sign which Jesus had done in bringing bread, Messiah was supposed to bring back bread like Moses did. When the people saw the sign Jesus did, they said, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. And they're thinking of the prophet Moses told them about when the Lord said, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command. Now, the first redeemer, the first Moses made manna to descend as it is written, behold, I will rain down from heaven for you. But in the same way, the latter redeemer, the latter deliverer, the Messiah will make manna descend as it is written, he, may he be as abundant grain in the land. So the Jews were watching for a Messiah, for one who would bring back the manna. Jesus took those five loaves. He blessed them. He gave thanks. It's free spiritual bread. It's the first time they didn't have to work for bread since the bread in the Garden of Eden. Free spiritual bread, blessed, broken, shared among all of them. Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, but not because you saw the signs I performed, because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, for the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Now, what is a special kind of spiritual bread that Jesus is talking about? It hails way back to the Garden of Eden, and it's he himself, Jesus, who was the tree of life in the middle of the garden all of long. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God has placed his seal of approval. He goes on to tell them that I am, am the bread of life. He took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. He gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Bread blessed, bread broken, bread shared as one body in Christ of Christ. So we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus was that spiritual bread from the beginning, the tree of life in the middle of the garden. But we wanted to know how to make our own bread, the tree of knowledge. Man always wants to be self-sufficient to be his or her own God. So eating the wrong thing brought division right from the get-go. Jesus always wanted us to eat from the one source of eternal life, which was him himself. He was our spiritual bread from the very beginning. He always desires unity, one body in Christ. He incorporates us into his own body. He is unity, unity of spirit, one body, one spirit, one hope, one faith, one baptism, one God, father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. He brings unity. The evil one, the serpent, Satan, always brings division. He's just the opposite. He's very clever. He's very sly. He's very deceptive and he's very crafty. And he's called Diablo. He sows the seeds of division whenever and wherever he can. Diablo is sowing great seeds of division in the church right now. He's sowing great division in our country. The same old lie. There's nothing new under the sun. You 
can be your own little G, God. He's sowing division tonight in Romans chapter 14 over food. What would St. Paul say to us today? Well, what did he say to the Romans in chapter 14? And what would he say to the Americans tonight? Satan is the divider. Jesus is the uniter. When Jesus was confronted head on with Satan, Jesus told him, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So it's those two things we're looking for, bread and the word of God, not bread alone, but also every word that comes from God. We're looking for bread, Jesus, the true bread, the bread of life, and we're looking for the word, Jesus, the incarnate word made flesh and the word of God. And that was told to Moses. He humbled you. He let you hunger. He fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know. It's all about knowing and bread, the the tree of knowing, that man does not live by bread alone, but Man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Jesus is going to repeat that back to Satan head on. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the word of life. Jesus doesn't need to turn stones into bread because Diablo wants him to, because he knows that he alone is the bread of eternal life, and he alone has the words of everlasting life. He doesn't need to turn rocks into bread. Peter knew that. Peter figures it out first. He knew Jesus' words were eternal life. You have the words of eternal life, Jesus. To whom can we go? You're the bread of life. You've just told us that, and you have the words of eternal life. There was division, though, even among the 12 apostles. Diablo had entered into one. It's in John 6 as well. Jesus answered, Did I not choose you, the 12, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he was one of the 12 who was going to betray him. Now, at Catholic Mass, we have been given both the word and the bread. Liturgy of the word and liturgy of the bread, they're both Jesus. We have the eternal word of God and we have the eternal bread of life, what Jesus was telling us to look for all along. In the Exodus, he had freed them from bondage into Egypt. He'd given them free bread again. Manna was falling from the sky. It was raining bread. They hadn't seen free bread since Eden. It was great at first. But then the honeymoon wore off. He married them on Sinai and the honeymoon wore off and eventually they just started grumbling about the bread. Grumble, grumble, grumble. How about us? The tree of life becomes incarnate flesh for us. It frees us from the bondage of sin. It frees us from the bondage of death. The cup of blessing that we bless at Mass, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break at Mass, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And it was great. We have this honeymoon period. And then eventually we start grumbling about the Eucharist, about Mass. We grumble, grumble, grumble. The honeymoon phase wears off. We grumble and grumble and grumble. Oh, I didn't like the homily today. I didn't like what Father said. Oh, I think we should go back pre-Vatican. I think we should turn around and have the Mass in Latin and I think we should go back to communion rail. And we, we get pulled to the extremes. We get divided. On the other extreme, Catholics see no, some Catholics see no problem with living together before marriage. Catholics demonstrate the importance of their faith publicly, and, and a growing number of Catholics are openly advancing abortion and gay marriage. Six Catholics now sit on the United States Supreme Court, but that doesn't mean we'll know how they rule or, or what their line of thinking is just because they're Catholic. There are bishops that are divided. Right now in our church, very great division. There are cardinals who who are divided, bishops, at least one-third of U.S. Catholics, only one 
third agree that the Eucharist is the true body and blood of Jesus Christ. The other two thirds aren't sure. What would St. Paul say to us today with our divisions? What would St. Paul's letter to the Americans read like? Because he told the Corinthians, Paul said, there's one loaf and we who are many are one body. We all share in the one loaf. And it's the same loaf that we have today that Jesus had with his apostles. It's the same loaf, the bread of his own body that Ignatius imagines him bringing to Mary, his own mother after the resurrection. It's the same bread that he gave to John, who he entrusted Mary to. It's the same bread that he gave to the apostles every chance after the resurrection when they'd be together. I imagine them celebrating mass, him teaching them the secrets, the mystery, the mystery of the mass that they will bring on. It's that same bread Jesus offers us today. It's the same bread he offered to the Romans at the time of Paul when Paul is writing this letter and they'd be celebrating mass. It's the same tree of eternal life that Adam and Eve ignored in the middle of the Garden of Eden because they wanted the tree of knowledge instead, the baked bread that they own on their own accord. What is this tree of life? Proverbs says that wisdom is a tree of life to those who take hold of her and, and to those who hold her fast, they will be blessed. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and the one who is wise saves lives. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing, a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And when we come to the very end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, we hear again about the tree of life to the message at the church at Ephesus. Jesus says, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So the whole world is longing for the tree of life. Everybody's longing for Jesus, but they just don't know it. And they want to make their own wheat bread. They want to do it on their own and be self-sufficient when it's only he, only Jesus himself, who's the only bread needed. That's why he says in Isaiah 55, why spend your money on what is not bread? Why do you labor for what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. He has free bread for us. He has eternal life for us. It's himself. Now, what does Paul say to the Romans tonight? As for the man who is weak in faith, welcome him and do not dispute over opinions. One believes he may eat anything while the weak man eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who abstains and let not him who abstains pass judgment on him who eats for God has welcomed him. What's Paul talking about? He's talking about two groups of Christians in Romans 14. Some are strong in faith and some are weak in faith. Some are strong in faith and they'll eat anything. Others are weak in faith and they'll eat only vegetables. Some are not concerned at all about the old Jewish food laws. Others are stringent Jews who abstain and keep kosher. Some are strong in faith. They're Roman converts to Catholicism. Others are weak in faith. They're skeptical Jews returning from expulsion from Rome. So we have these two groups, new Roman Gentile Christians and old Roman Jewish Christians returning back, remember, after the Edict of Claudius. Claudius, who ruled 41 to 54, had expelled the Jews from Rome. They are coming back. There's a great difference between Jews and Gentiles in general, but now they're all abiding as one church in Rome. They've already had a great circumcision division. We heard about that earlier in Romans 2 and 3. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles as well? And Paul says, yes, 
Yes, he's the God of the Jews and the Gentiles as well. And that he who is a Jew is one inwardly and real circumcision is a matter of the heart, spiritual and not literal. They handled that problem, but there were more problems than just circumcision because in Acts 15, the first church council, after the whole, everything was laid out, James, the pillar of the church in Jerusalem, replied, brethren, listen to me. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who return to God, but we should write to them to abstain from the pollution of idols, from unchastity, and from what is strangled, and from blood. They don't have to get circumcised. They just have to abstain from pollution of idol, unchastity, what is strangled, and from blood. So this is what's coming into Rome right now. We have two groups. See this Venn diagram. We have Jews of the old covenant law. They're really bound by that. And we have Roman Gentiles who have converted. They, they were Roman pagans, but they've converted to Christianity and they couldn't be more different. They're used to Roman paganism. These guys are strict Jews under covenantal laws. They're coming back into Rome. Where do they intersect? In the body of Christ. That's the one meal they both share. They share baptism. They share grace from God. They share the faith and they share an indwelling Holy Spirit. Paul's saying you got a lot more in common than you have different. We got through the circumcision division, but now we're going to face food laws and feast day divisions. Now, where did all these food laws come from? After the garden and the trees of knowledge and the tree of life. It was only chapter six. It was only chapter six, six chapters in where the Lord God saw the wickedness of men was great in the earth and that every imagination and thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So God said, I'm going to blot out men who I have created from the face of the ground, man, beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. I'm sorry I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, one man, righteous old Noah, and God blessed him. And God used Noah for a new creation, Noah and his sons, his three sons, their wives, and Noah's own wife. And God gave him instructions about how to build a great ark. And God gave them instructions that every living creature, two of every living creature, God would help, but they would need to be on board the ark. And when the right time came, God would help orchestrate all the animals getting loaded. But at the time, at the proper time, God himself would close the door and seal it with tar. And the rain would start and it would rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And all those who laughed at Noah would be left to die in the floodwaters. And when Noah landed after the 40 days and 40 nights, he offered sacrifice, first thing, sacrifice to God. And it was an animal that he burnt on an altar. And God gave him that beautiful bow in the sky, the rainbow of his covenant. God was starting over a new creation, a new covenant. God said he would never, ever again destroy the earth with a flood. And all the animals had made the journey and they are released. And God has made a new covenant with Noah. He's blessed him and his sons. And he's telling them again, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. So again, they have dominion over everything. And God says, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. There's only one restriction God has. In Genesis 9, verse 4, God says, Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. So they have to drain the blood out of the animal before they eat it. That's the only stipulation. Now Noah plants a vineyard, a beautiful vineyard. He's harvesting the grapes, and we know that he takes those grapes and ferments them. And 
this new creation. The first creation was bread. Possibly we just talked about that. That was part one of Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 14, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.